Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And this week, we have a guest on the show to tell us all about the Pachycephalosaurus. Yes, so we're so excited to have Amanda Rooney here with us. We know Amanda from the University of Alberta and Terranforma, which is an environmental news radio show that we all used to work on together. So definitely go check that out if you're looking for a good environmental show. Lots of good Canadian content there, so check it out. So Amanda, can you introduce yourself and talk a bit about what you do? Yes, so yeah, like... You guys said my name's Amanda. Definitely check out Tara Informa. I'm glad that I met both of you through that and through schoolwork as well. So Olivia and Sophia, thanks for inviting me to talk about Pachycephalosaurus. So my background on dinosaurs goes a bit like this. I spent two summers as a seasonal parks interpreter at Dinosaur Provincial Park here in Alberta. So Dinosaur Provincial Park is kind of in the south of Alberta and it's got the greatest diversity and concentration of fossils from the late Cretaceous of anywhere in the whole entire world. So while I've been there over the past two summers, I've picked up a thing or two about dinosaurs. Yeah, Dinosaur Provincial Park is an amazingly beautiful and exciting place for any dinosaur nerd. Highly recommend if you have not been and you have the capacity to do so, go there, visit. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on the show. I'm so excited to be here and I'm very excited to hear what Blathers has to say about Pachycephalosauruses. Yeah, you'll have to fact check this, but this is what he says if you bring a fossil to him. Pachycephalosaurus was, to be blunt, not the brightest star in the dinosaur firmament, which I looked this up and firmament is like the stars and heavens as a tangible thing. So I don't know, I love Blather's eloquence and his like thesaurian knowledge of words. <laughs> thesaurian? That in itself is quite the word. <laughs> I do have an English degree. Did I make up that word? Potentially. so then he goes on to say what i mean is with its incredibly thick skull some 10 inches thick in spots it didn't have much room for well for brains its brain was likely quite small but at least it was extremely safe in its bony prison (laughs) i i really love that he calls it a bony prison that's really how it is sometimes (laughs) Yeah, that's incredibly relatable, and sometimes my brain just feels quite small. (laughs) Yeah, mine has felt like that after this week and writing papers and everything. Relatable dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Big mood for quarantine 2020 as well. (laughs) My brain can't escape its bony prison. Oh my god. (laughs) I know, I wish I could just escape sometimes. Yeah, we're going to take an escape back to the late Cretaceous, so don't worry. Yes, take us back, Amanda. Excellent. So if you traveled back in time to the late Cretaceous, um, which is about 75 million years ago, give or take a couple million years on either side, and you came to what we know now as Alberta, you'd find yourself in a subtropical kind of landscape. There'd be lots of big meandering rivers, 
There was also this huge inland ocean called the Bear Paw Sea or the Western Interior Seaway. So these dinosaurs did enjoy a little bit of beachside property. There also would have been big coniferous like pine-like trees called metasequoia. And we also find lots of fossilized remains of these metasequoia. Uh, we find petrified wood. And just a fun fact, petrified wood is the provincial stone of the province of Alberta. Oh, wow. That's a cool stone. Yeah, it would have been really cool. It would have looked really, really different than it did today. Polar ice caps are not really existing at this time, so really different. No, no people either, but there are some other creatures. Dang, what I wouldn't give for a beach with no people on it right now. That sounds <laughs> ideal. Drive five minutes, have just like a nice tropical area. Wow, they're really living in the dream time. They really were. So if you were to be exploring this Lake Cretaceous landscape, you might encounter a Pachycephalosaurus. Now, we think that Pachycephalosauruses probably walked on two legs, meaning they're bipedal. They would have had um, large forward-facing eye sockets, which means they would have had binocular vision. So they probably would have had pretty good vision. They also had this pointed snout, which probably ended in a beak-like structure. If you don't know already, birds are dinosaurs. So now you know, you can take that where you'd like. And so there's probably a lot of similarities between birds and dinosaurs. And you both already talked about Archaeopteryx is kind of this bird-like dinosaur. So hopefully most of your listeners should know this already. And Blathers alluded to this. It's known, the Pachycephalosaurus is known for its really thick skull that's shaped kind of like a dome and like they're not kidding like he said it's 10 inches thick in spots like that's spot on one specimen has about a 24 centimeter thick dome which is like almost like a ruler length like that's a very very thick dome that's a lot of bone that's amazing holy smokes i cannot imagine that much bone on top of my head like how heavy that would be yeah, it probably would really hurt your neck, I would imagine. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so the term, the, the name Pachycephalosaurus, roughly translates to thick-headed lizard. And like Blathers also alludes to, this really, really thick bonehead meant that there was really little space for their brain case. So they probably weren't the smartest, exactly like Blathers said. And they also would have had this kind of arrangement of bumps or spikes around the base kind of of their dome. So like a little, a nice little crown. And they're called cranial spikes. There's a little bit of contention, a little bit of debate about uh, the nature of these cranial spikes in the paleontological community. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Now the Pachycephalosaur, like it's, you've probably heard about these dinosaurs before. They're a bit of a dinosaur celebrity. They typically appear alongside Tyrannosaurus rex and a like Triceratops. And if you're from the right age group, you might know these dinosaurs from the Land Before Time. Oh, I definitely do. I was obsessed with Land Before Time. It was like my gateway drug to ecology. Wouldn't be here without it. I love that. That's great. I I definitely, like, I remember the dinosaurs really scaring me as a child. I had this reoccurring nightmare, actually, about dinosaurs coming for my family. 
Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. It was really weird, but here I am now. I'm really facing my fears. Yeah, good for you. So, okay, you you just mentioned that these things had a 24 centimeter thick dome. So, how big was this thing? This is obviously way bigger than I thought it was because I thought this thing was like the size of a goat. I don't know why this idea was in my brain, but it is. And so I'm shocked. So that is stuck in your head. That goat size is stuck in your head for a good reason. And I'll get to it in a minute. Now, there's a lot of variability between species of pachycephalosaurs. So the type species, Pachycephalosaurus wyomingensis, is about the height of a person. And paleontologists think that this species of Pachycephalosaur, which is on the bigger end of Pachycephalosaurs, would have been about 990 pounds or 450 kilograms. So that's like roughly the same weight as a small cow. So that still, like, could, like if they're about the size of a human, maybe a little bit bigger, having a 24 centimeter thick skull is still absurd. But... Olivia, worry not. You said that you had this idea of these dinosaurs being about the size of a goat. And you probably think that because you're from Alberta. And the main species, the big, the big famous species from Alberta is called Stegosaurus validum. So this Stegosaurus could be about the same size as a large dog or a goat. So just about two meters tall. And then about like between 22 to 88 pounds or 10 to 40 kilograms. So they're quite a bit smaller, probably a little cuter since they're a little smaller. (laughs) Um, And in my opinion, the Stegosaurus should be the Pachycephalosaurus star. And we'll get into why I think that in a little bit. Paleontology is wild. And I think that the Pachycephalosaurus is going to blow your mind. Oh, I'm so excited. It's already blowing my mind. And I'm glad to hear that I'm not completely confused about the Pachycephalosaurus. I definitely just assumed they were huge, but I also kind of want like a dog-sized Pachycephalosaurus (laughs) now. Just like a little little cute guy to hang around, bop its head into things. Exactly. I think they would be like a poodle kind of. Like, because you know, like poodles are like kind of pretty and cute, but they're also like a little aggressive. Like, I think that's what it would be like. (laughs) I want a guard, like a guard dinosaur. Yeah. We're really getting into like my childhood dreams here. The, The guard dinosaur dream. So Amanda, could you tell us more about, you know, how how did they find these guys and how were they first identified? I know there can be some interesting stories sometimes. Yes, definitely. The first remains of Pachycephalosaurus were collected in the 1850s by early fossil enthusiasts in the United States. So the early 1850s, during this time, there's lots of fossil collecting going on in the United States, and it begins to spread to Canada as well. And fossil collecting was a bit competitive and kind of chaotic sometimes, so stuff would be moved all over the place to different museums, and kind of the name of the game was to find the most impressive and big things. So bits of Pachycephalosaur were probably picked up around then, but Pachycephalosaur remains were first recognizably described in 1875 by Joseph Lydie. Our pal Joseph here thought that they might be part of an armadillo-like reptile that he called Tylosteus. Other people also found bits of Pachycephalosaur that they thought were actually kneecaps. So 
Based on this description, what part of the pachycephalosaur do you think that they found? If it was kneecaps, like, like that, the domey head you were talking about? Yeah, exactly. So they've got these nice, big, like, the chunky domes from the heads of these dinosaurs. They fossilized really well because they're so thick and sturdy. And a lot of the other bits of the dinosaurs might have, you know, disintegrated or washed away. But these big, thick domes persisted. So the idea that this was the skull of a dinosaur actually wasn't decided upon until the 1940s. So more than a hundred years later, paleontologists looked at these pieces of fossil that were collected and that were determined to be tylosteus, and um, instead, this guy Donald Bayard, he determined that this piece that Joseph Leidy had found back in 1875 was actually a squamosal, which is the back of a skull of a pachycephalosaur. So they find a lot of these domes and not much else from these dinosaurs. So these specimens aren't well recorded in the fossil record. For a really long time, they're just finding a lot of bits of skulls from these dinosaurs until enter specimen UALVP2 from Dinosaur Provincial Park. So this specimen, UALVP2, I'm not going to say that anymore. <laughs> this <laughs> specimen um, is a Stegosaurus validium. So this Stegosaurus is one of the most complete fossils of a pachycephalosaur. So we're very lucky that it came on the scene in 1924 because otherwise we wouldn't have a very good idea of what these dinosaurs looked like. So a lot of the reconstruction within these species has been based off of this wonderful fossil that comes from Alberta, from Dinosaur Provincial Park. It's kind of weird because despite being such a well-known dinosaur in popular culture, we really, for a very long time, didn't know very much about how these dinosaurs looked. And so a lot of the modeling, even still to this day, that's been done on pachycephalosauruses has been guesswork. So reconstructing ancient environments, I'm sure you know a little bit about modern environments. And so we can use modern ecology to kind of reconstruct what we think the ecosystems would have looked like back then. So despite finding so few of these pachycephalosauruses, for these small ones, there's probably quite a few running around. In modern ecology, Olivia, correct me if I'm wrong, but we <laughs> see, you know, an abundance of smaller reptiles and mammals, and then fewer larger creatures. So this was probably the case back then. One fun fact that I would like to touch on, the stegosaurus that are displayed at the Royal Tyrell Museum, fun fact, since they had to do a lot of guesswork in reconstructing it, what you might look at and think are its hands are actually the feet of other dinosaurs because paleontologists frankly don't know what their hands would have looked like. That's so wild that you would have feet for hands in the dinosaur. Now I'm going like, to have to go to the museum and be like, I know your secret, you little stegosaurus with your fake hands. Frankenstein hands. It's so weird. I mean, like, <laughs> it makes sense, though, because like, if you don't know what it looks like, like... What do you do? Yeah. Who's who's going to say it didn't look like that? No one. And that's the beautiful part about paleontology. And that's like what all the fights are about in paleontology. <laughs> that's why there's so much drama. There truly is so much drama. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> 
And like, what's really exciting about dinosaurs like this is that each new specimen that's found can contribute a lot to understanding, you know, what these dinosaurs were like and what things might have been different, which is really, really cool. And I've been lucky enough, I have never found anything super significant during my time at Dinosaur Provincial Park. However, I have found some pachycephalosaur teeth, which are pretty neat. Oh my gosh, that would be a dream. Oh, that's so cool. What did they look like? It's really cool. Sorry, I like screeched there. I was so excited. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I mean, they're rare to find just because they're small and maybe they weren't as plentiful. Maybe there were fewer pachycephalosaurs on the landscape 75 million years ago. We don't really know. However, if you are lucky and you do find one, they're little, they're black, they're shiny. They kind of look like a fan or a seashell. They look quite a bit like the ankylosaurus teeth. So you described them a couple of episodes ago. They kind of look like a leaf. So this was all fine and dandy, but in 2018, Mark Goodwin found a more complete set of pachycephalosaurus teeth. And guess what? This wild thing happened where a lot of the teeth look like leaves. They look similar to the ankylosaurus teeth. So, you know, they you think probably if they've got these teeth, they'd look like they'd be good for grinding. However, this paleontologist, Mark Goodwin, finds some pachycephalosaurus teeth that are like sharp and have serrations. So what the heck? They look a lot like theropod teeth or meat eater teeth. So Mark Goodwin has done a lot of research I found as I was looking into pachycephalosauruses more. Like he's done a lot of research and he's really shaken up paleontology in term of pachycephalosauruses. But this like threw everybody up into like what the heck? So based on these two types of teeth that are existing in this pachycephalosaurus's mouth, I'd like to hear what you guys think that they ate based on this description. If they have both, are they omnivores? That is kind of what they are thinking. So for a long time, paleontologists were like, they're herbivores, but this has moved paleontologists towards believing that pachycephalosauruses were probably more like omnivores. And one of the best kind of descriptions I found was that maybe they were like bears. Because when you think, I never thought of bears. Bears and dinosaurs seem very different to me. However, when you think about it, bears, they go out for most of the season and you know they're they'll eat like berries and sometimes some leaves maybe things like that some plant material and then they'll also turn around and go catch a fish or whatever depending on the time of the season so it makes a lot of sense and then one thing that is even more wild to me is that so you've got these two sets of teeth probably good for grinding and chewing good for ripping and tearing some amount of meat maybe eating like seeds and nuts all this could have been inside a sort of beak-like structure. So a lot of dinosaurs sort of have this beak-like structure, most notably, and probably if you're familiar with dinosaurs, you will have heard of triceratops. So a lot of triceratops, you know, they're depicted having this like beak-like mouth bit, and we can find fossilized beak bits even out at dinosaur provincial parks from different species of ceratopsian dinosaurs. Now, for a long time, paleontologists weren't sure who pachycephalosaurs were related to. They thought that maybe they were related to some meat eaters. They thought that they were related to troodons, which is this group of really, really smart dinosaurs. 
So that would have been a really big compliment, I'm sure, to the pachycephalosauruses. But (laughs) (laughs) as things have progressed, they've found that pachycephalosauruses are most closely related to these ceratopsian dinosaurs. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Ceratopsian dinosaurs have that big frill behind their head. So it's made out of a, you know, similar bony structure. Really, really similar to this dome that's on top of the pachycephalosaurus's head. That is so interesting. Because, like, based on the paleo art... Yeah, I would think they would be more related to Trudons just because of the, I guess, bipedal nature. They kind of have that sort of velociraptory, like Jurassic Park version body shape. That's, I would never have guessed. What a, what a plot twist I know. to this story. Yeah. Oh, there's more plot twists right left and oh, center. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Can I ask, though, about the domes again? Because I'm just like, if they're, you know omnivores maybe mostly herbivores and they're kind of peaceful why do they need huge skulls to protect their teeny brains like (laughs) i know sometimes you see them depicted as headbutting each other is that why this is a great question so just as a quick aside before I get into some of the theories on the domes, I would just like to say that one time at Dinosaur Provincial Park, where I work as a, a paleo interpreter, one of my coworkers was interrupted by a very small dinosaur enthusiast who informed her that uh, pachycephalosauruses are actually called bonkosauruses. I, which I love because yeah, like they're depicted in so many movies and so much of popular culture as smashing their heads together. Kind of like bighorn sheep then. Yeah. Some paleontologists think that they would have been really similar to bighorn sheep or musk oxen, but it's really hard to study dinosaur behavior, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Can't go and watch them. Yeah, exactly. You can't go watch them. So paleontologists kind of argue about what the deal is with these domes. So there's some merit to it. I mean, they're really thick. And when we think about creatures like bighorn sheep or musk oxen, you know, they've got uh, this keratinous layer that offers cushioning that, you know, allows them to smash heads, to bonk heads without, you know, getting too much damage or without sustaining too much damage. And you know, for a long time, there wasn't really evidence of damage to the domes of Pachycephalosauruses until recently. So like I said, each new piece of fossil is really important in paleontology. So some of the newer fossils that are coming out do exhibit some amount of damage, which is in favor of the headbutting theory. However, some paleontologists, they, they don't agree with that. There's some argument that their neck would have kind of had an S or a U shape, which wouldn't have supported head bonking without sustaining severe like spinal injury. And, you know, some other paleontologists have suggested that they would kind of go up to each other from the side and bonk each other from the side. So there's a whole lot of theories, and there isn't really, at this point still, there's still not consensus on what the deal is with these domes. But, like, it makes a lot of sense that they could have been using it for interspecies combat to, you know, establish the pecking order in the herd of pachycephalosaurs that there may have been. But there's another potential 
function. There's another potential function of this dome. So I had mentioned earlier that these pachycephalosauruses are really closely related to ceratopsians, to those dinosaurs that are like triceratops. And so ceratopsians have a huge variety of ornamentation and arrangements in that frill that's behind their head there. And so a lot of paleontologists think that this, um, you know, ornamentation on the heads of pachycephalosaurs and ceratopsians could have been used for interspecies recognition as well as to attract mates. So it's likely that these two things have similar functions to our modern antlered ungulates. You know, they will use their antlers to kind of wrestle with one another and establish the pecking order, but a, a male with a big rack on its head is also very appealing to females. So it, it's likely that it's a little bit of both. That's so interesting, especially because I was just thinking with this comparison to bighorn sheep and talking about pachycephalosaurus teeth like I remember looking at bighorn sheep teeth and they were like weirdly sharp to the point where I was like asking a whole bunch of people and zookeepers like why are they so sharp like what's going on no one knew I'm sure it had to do with eating plants but I just feel like there's such a weird I guess relationship between the two animals even if it's just in my mind like relating the two creatures that are millions of years apart but it's it's fascinating to hear this comparison to the kind of behaviors we see to animals today and yeah, definitely. It's It makes, you know, ecology, there's a lot of patterns in ecology and we see them across the globe modern day. So it makes a lot of sense that these patterns are also like evident even way, way back in time. It also makes sense when you think about just anytime you see something truly absurd in animals <laughs> and you're like, why is the, why do peacocks look like that? Why would they have feathers that are that big? Or any question like that a lot of the times the answer is sexual selection like sexual selection just pushes for really absurd things like potentially huge huge heads i guess it's one of those things that's so like direct in terms of selection like that's i i, I guess it kind of makes it it feels like a powerful force of nature and <laughs> just these these display mechanisms it, it's fascinating to to learn more about them in prehistory Totally. And one thing that's really interesting about pachycephalosaurs, I had mentioned way back at the beginning that pachycephalosaurs, in addition to this dome, have a bunch of spikes, these cranial spikes, just around the base of the dome. And so there's been a lot of controversy around what the heck are these like spikes or nodes doing. <laughs> um, because um, in the United States, in Montana and the uh, Hell Creek Formation, there's a couple of other pachycephalosaurs that have been discovered. And I'm going to just go through these two really quickly because they've got awesome names. One is called Dracorec Hogwartsia. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what nerd named this dinosaur? <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I love how paleontologists, some of them are, like, really serious and will, like, name these, like, really impossible names. And then others are like, hell yeah, I'm going to make some serious geek references. Yeah, I like Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to name this dino after my mother or anything like that. You know, I'm just going to name it after a fictional character. Because why not? I like that it's, like, Draco Rex, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's so specific. They need to add, like, Draco Rex Hogwartsia to Animal Crossing. 
Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, what if they, what if, oh, what if a paleontologist names a new species after uh, an Animal Crossing, like, character? I have to say that Blathers would be, he would be so happy to have a dinosaur named after him. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't like the bugs, but he's down for dinosaurs. That's good. I feel like that could be done. So someone just, if there's any like <laughs> aspiring paleontologists out there uh, who are also super big fans of Animal Crossing, like this is your chance. Just go out there and find, just go find a new species of dinosaur. Just it's easy. easy as that. <laughs> <laughs> go to a museum and like look through their drawers until you find something that's been like misidentified. And Well, and talk about misidentified. We're going to get into that here. So there's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, there's two you know, there were proposed species, Draco Rex Hogwartsia, and this other dinosaur called Stigmaloch. So these two pachycephalosaurs, they were kind of accepted to be two different species of pachycephalosaur for a while. Until this Goodwin guy, along with Evans, comes along again. And he. so his theory is this. He looks at these dinosaurs and... Pachycephalosaurus wyomingensis, the type species, the big one that we talked about at the beginning. It's the biggest, it's got the smallest spikes around its dome. And then we go move down a size into the other two. The other two are slightly smaller and have slightly longer nodes or spikes. They also have flatter heads. So the theory is this, Goodwin said, do away with this idea that they're different species. They're not different species. They're actually just juvenile versions of Pachycephalosaurus wyomingensis. And so what he and his colleagues think is that as these dinosaurs aged, these nodes, the spikes kind of around their head would get smaller and their dome would get larger. So... That's the thought right now is probably that, you know, if they're getting a larger dome as they grow older, it would make a lot of sense that it would be something that would be for sexual selection, something to show off to uh, the, the opposite sex, especially, yeah, if the juveniles aren't showing them. That's so interesting. So similar to antlers again, or horns or anything, as they get bigger, you're showier. Those juveniles have really stubby little little horns. Exactly, exactly like that. So that's the thought right now, but you know, like it could change at the drop of a coin, it sometimes feels like in paleontology. (laughs) They're always reorganizing things. And you know, the way that we organize animals anyways is like sometimes very trivial. So it's, it just, it really makes you consider how we humans go about organizing uh, the living world. Yeah, I mean, I think about that a lot in taxonomy, and especially for this podcast researching taxonomic categories, and I'm like, how does this work? And it's always changing. It's so confusing. But uh, yeah, it's how do, how do you define a species? What are those lines? Mm-hmm. Especially when they're dead, because, you know, a lot of the times, <laughs> like, this, the, the thing is, okay, if they can't interbreed, like, then they're different species, but, like, mm-hmm. dinosaurs, they're dead. And how do we really ever know anything for sure in terms of their behavior or what anything was for or what anything looked like? I think it's interesting that Animal Crossing has the paleo aspect and then also has like, you know, current species as well. Yeah, I'm glad that it has both because I think it's really easy to 
you know, write off paleontology as kind of this like frivolous thing where like, why are we studying the past? But really the past can inform so much of what we know about things that are alive today and about like the health of ecosystems and then vice versa as well. So I think as I've spent more and more time in the paleontology realm at Dinosaur Provincial Park, I've really realized that there, there is quite a bit of value in paleontology, more than you might think. I think even the very concept of like, I mean, we talk about this a lot in my degree, but just what is natural change? Like what, like is change natural in an ecosystem? Should we allow change to happen or should we be trying to cement things like in parks or in, you know, uh, reserves or things like that and try to keep them perfectly the way they are? And I, f I find learning more about paleontology, it kind of makes me consider, okay, like, I guess change is natural. <laughs> Lots of changes aren't whatever the word natural means, but I I don't know. I think that's also something that paleontology has forced me to reflect upon a little bit. For you, I mean, this is so vague, but what what is it like working in a place that has dinosaurs, like Dinosaur Provincial Park? What is that like for you and, and for the people there? Do you have lots of researchers coming around or, or what does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. So yeah, usually there are a lot of researchers that are coming through. This year was a little weird, obviously. So, but it's a very like hopping place and having the researchers around is really, really interesting. And definitely like the researchers are a highlight, but like definitely the highlight for me of working at the park is heading out into the Alberta Badlands and showing it to people. Being there on my own as well is great. It's really, really humbling to think about the sediments that you're looking at. They're from 75 million years ago. They contain the remains of fossils. And so many people have been through this landscape and interacted with these fossils. So all the way, you know, the Blackfoot people, there's some fossils that are really important to them. And then the Canadian, like the fossil rush that happens in the early 1900s. It's just so much to wrap your head around. There's so much history, modern and then super ancient. It's a very peaceful place, but it's also a little bit intimidating in some ways. You know, you walk in and you think <laughs> I can't get that lost, but it's actually very easy to get turned around in the desert. It can get really hot. Um, and there's so many other amazing creatures that live there, like the prairie rattlesnake. Nothing to be that scared of. They're just really, really cool. There's northern scorpions, which is so awesome as well. A bunch of species of cacti, which like, what? Who knew that we have cacti in Alberta? And then so many different kinds of modern dinosaurs, birds. There's, it's great birding there. If you're into birds, that's one of the best places to go. Oh, I could just rave about all my favorite birds, but I will spare you that since I've just had a chance to rave about Pachycephalosaurus. But I would definitely recommend if you are nearby, support your provincial parks and head out to Dinosaur Provincial Park. We've got dinosaur fossils. It's an incredible landscape that is so worth protecting. You know, it's not the mountains, but it's, it's even better if you ask me in some ways. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember the first time I went there. The first time I went there was a year ago, which I, I think about that now. I'm like, why on earth did I not go earlier? It's just beyond me. But anyway, I remember it was crazy because you're you're in the southern Alberta prairies, which are like super, super flat, like as flat as you can possibly imagine, mostly agriculture. And we're driving and all of a sudden, like you dip down and it's like you've literally entered a Mars landscape. It is the most bizarre experience. It feels like 
a asteroid hit this part of the prairies and just like dug out this big chunk of, I'm looking at a picture of, of it actually on my wall right now, big chunk of prairie. And it's, it's beautiful. I will, I will say it's not the mountains, but it certainly has, it made me feel like I traveled way further away from home than I actually had. It, oh my God. Yeah. I, I know what you mean about getting lost easily. What's cool about the park for those who haven't been is there's a very small section of the park, which public can roam freely in. And that's where they've got like the visitor center and the campsite and everything. But then there's this huge section that's like pretty much off limits to the public unless you're on a tour. And that area, I can totally see you getting lost easily. Because I remember like as you're driving the bus, Amanda, I was like, where on earth are we? Everything looks like the same in these beautiful like hoodoo shapes and these layered stones that are all like rusty colored it was it was quite stunning in in a way I've never experienced before yeah the views are breathtaking and they get me every single time like I could not ever get tired about it even my co-workers who have been there for years are not tired of it yeah well thank you so much Amanda it's just been so amazing to hear about the pachycephalosaurus from you you're, this has been my pleasure to be on the show. I'm a huge fan. You guys are doing a wonderful job of it. It's really awesome. So thanks so much for having me. I'm always happy to, uh, you know, talk dinosaur. Yeah, I, I feel like my brain prison has expanded a bit more. I'm so glad. Mine has too. Thanks everyone so much for listening. If you haven't checked out our merch store yet, definitely go to beyondblathers.square.site and take a look at the stickers, postcards, and Atlas Moth pin and see if anything catches your eye. We really appreciate all the support. And of course, if you're a new listener, don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Beyond Blathers on Instagram and Twitter for updates. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye! Bye!